0: Is surgery a good thing or a bad thing? It's supposed to be a good thing, right? Is surgery a pleasant thing or an unpleasant thing? It's an unpleasant thing, right? So the point is, is that some things that are good for us are not particularly pleasant for us, right? That's this message. So I'm just letting you know. This is hopefully going to be good for us, but not particularly pleasant. Um, Friends, God is wanting to reset hearts. He's wanting to reset hearts to where he is the true north of our hearts, like we are going after him. Because here's the, the reality. It really doesn't matter whether you believe that Jesus is the king of the universe. What matters more importantly is not just that you believe that he's the king of the universe, but that he's actually the king of your own heart right? Steve Cutcliffe once told me the, the principle of being three degrees off. And he said, you know, Chris, if, you, if you're three degrees off, you're, you're really not going to notice it, you know, if you go 20 feet. He said, but if you go 20 miles, you're in a drastically different direction a drastically different destination. So guys, the point is we really have to look at our own hearts because we're playing this for eternity, right? We're in this like the journey doesn't end until eternity. What is more, oftentimes we don't uh, we don't really discover the fact that we've been three degrees off uh, in the day to day grind, but. 20 years into a marriage when things are falling apart we begin to discover it right or when we discover that what used to be a a decent habit has now become a strong addiction in my my life what am I noticing I'm noticing that I've been three degrees off for a while right so it, it it behooves us to actually deal with it now to look into the mirror and see what what really is the king of my own heart because the reality is is It gets exposed when the pressure is on, right? When the pressure is on, like, who or what is actually king of my heart comes to the surface. Pressure doesn't distort the king of my heart. Pressure reveals the king of my heart. I want to give you an extreme example. One of the more gratuitous evils in the 21st century is stampedes on Black Friday, right? We've all heard stories like this horrible story of... Uh, Jim, Jim Taddei Damore. I mispronounced that. I think it's Jim Taddei Damore. Damore was a six foot five, 270 pound Walmart worker. So he is a big man. And he was crushed when the 2,000 people basically burst down the sliding glass doors of a Long Island Walmart. Many people walked past him, some people walked over him, and he was killed in 2008 at just 34 years old. That's horrible. Now the question is, is would it have been like that on a regular day? If DeMora had had a heart attack or a seizure and was basically laid out on the floor, do you think those people would have just walked right past him? I think many of those people would have stopped to check on him or call 911 or go get the, the manager of the store. So the question is what was different About Black Friday. The reality is, guys, we can all appear to be fairly sane and civil individuals when there's no pressure on us, right? It's when the pressure's on that the the ruling principle of our heart comes to the surface. And though I'm sure many of those people probably never even saw Damore, the ones that did the ones that walked right past him, or even worse, walked right over him. What did it reveal about their hearts? It revealed that their hearts were unfortunately more focused on a flat screen than on a man that was on the verge of death, right? That They were worried about getting toys for the kids rather than honoring the life of a person, right? So guys, the reality is we want to deal with what really is the... Um, we want to deal with what is the ruling principle of our heart or what is the king of our heart before the pressure's on, right? If you wait until the pressure's on, you've waited too late, okay? So it's good to go ahead and and do that work now. With that in mind, I want to look at John 19. At Mosaic, we say the best way to engage a message is with a Bible, something to write with and something to write on. And we're just going to look at this passage that Catherine just read for us. In this text, it's a very high-pressure scene, right? Jesus is on this mock trial. He's about to be crucified. And in this scene, we see four different types of people. And in their response to Jesus' being on trial kind of reveals to us what is actually governing Jesus their hearts what is the king of their hearts son i want to start with the idea of jesus as being king over our culture and to do that i want to look at the roman soldiers tell me this what do you think was the king of the roman soldiers hearts anybody say it again To to advance in their positions that's probably part of it yeah did I get somebody over here? What, what do you think was the king of the Roman soldiers' hearts? To get home for dinner? <laughs> home for dinner? It's true. Um, I think you could say Rome was the king of the Roman soldiers' hearts, right? They seem to have no ethical qualms with crucifying uh, an innocent man or mercilessly beating an innocent man. Why? Because in Rome, that's just what you do. If Rome tells you to crucify someone, that's what you do, right? So, the point is uh, that they were, in many ways, influenced by their culture in time. It'd be easier, it'd be easy to think of them as just monsters, but the truth is, is that they were uh, simply products of their own time. And in the middle of this passage, did you notice that there's this phrase that's, Posted above the cross three different in three different ways, three different languages. It says Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Friends, the reality is the problem for the Jews, and the problem for all of us, is we have an idea of what type of king we want Jesus to be. Right? Carolyn talked last week about how um, Carolyn talked last week about how uh, there's a difference between a Jesus and the Jesus. What was a Jesus? What did she say a Jesus was? A Jesus was the one that I create that conforms to my desires, my my wants, right? The Jesus is Jesus as he truly is. He is king. And so for every person character in this story. Jesus's kingship calls them to a a, a level of repentance. And as I was saying earlier with the, the Romans, it's about, is Jesus king over their culture, right? It would be easy to say they were monsters, but the reality, they were just products of their own time. And so, guys, the truth is, when Jesus is king over my culture... I'm called to evaluate all of culture in light of his kingship. I'm called to evaluate my time and my place, my my culture in light of his kingship. So, although I'm grateful that we're not Romans, the reality is is we have to look at America, our moment in time, and evaluate it in light of Jesus' kingship. Does that make sense? So let's give you some examples for that. Capitalism, is it good or bad? Somebody said yes. Good, good. All right, so here's the thing. Um, Capitalism's probably one of the better economic systems in a fallen world, right? But when I was growing up, capitalism was raised up as like it was just below godliness, All right. It was like, man, you're part of the church and then you're an American capitalist. And it's like it was just below that. That was my culture. Now, the more I came to know Jesus and began to see his values, the more I began to recognize that capitalism, again, it's not necessarily bad. It's probably one of the better economic systems of a fallen world. But I need to be aware that it promotes consumerism right? Which is to say it promotes greed. And greed is very damaging to the human soul. Greed has no place in the kingdom of God. So if I'm going to be primarily a citizen of the kingdom of God, not a citizen of the kingdom of America, I have to evaluate America in light of the kingdom. Now, I've gone from messing. Now, I want to go down to meddling. Look at your neighbor and go, he's going to start meddling. (laughs) There you go friends, to my Republican friends, you need to know that Jesus genuinely cares about the environment. He cares about what we do with toxic waste. He talks about how that a sparrow doesn't even fall without the father knowing that it's fallen. So, I actually believe that he cares about endangered species, So ecological concerns are not primarily a left-wing concern, they're a kingdom concern. Does that make sense? To my Democrat friends, you need to know that uh, all human life is sacred, from conception to heaven, from womb to tomb, okay? What's the point? It's not primarily a right-wing agenda, it's a kingdom issue. Now, lest you think I'm up here pushing politics, I want you to recognize that I'm actually not. What I'm saying to you is that you have to evaluate everything in the light of does this line up with the kingdom of God? Is Jesus king? Because, friends, when Jesus is king over your life, when he's really king over your life, you're not going to feel completely comfortable in either political camp because you're going to notice there are some things that Are Okay in the kingdom and some things that are outside of it. So hear me on this I don't ultimately care whether you're a Democrat or Republican What I care is that you're primarily a a Jesus man or a Jesus woman That you're primarily concerned about being a citizen of the kingdom of God rather than a citizen of the kingdom of America That's what I'm primarily concerned about So I want to ask you is there any place in your own soul where Culture, rather than Christ, is really the king of your life. Is there any place in your own soul where you need to ask God to reset your heart to Jesus being king? Because the truth is, guys, there's no place for syncretism in the kingdom. Y'all know what syncretism is? Syncretism is where you try to take something outside of your religion and you kind of fit it into your religion, even though it might be... um, the exact opposite of what your faith uh, proclaims. Carolyn mentioned this last week when she said someone told her that in Haiti, uh, Haiti's 80% Catholic, 20% Protestant, and 100% voodoo. What is that? That's taking things outside of your religion and trying to kind of force it into your faith, even though it doesn't belong there. So let me say this. In America, we don't tend to outwardly ascribe to multiple religions at the same time. So as a consequence, what we really have to look, look for when we consider syncretism is where are the, the things within my American culture that I'm kind of meshing into the Christian life that really don't belong there. Now let's look at the religious officials. Um, tell me this, what do you think is the, the king of the religious officials' hearts? The law, power, staying in power. Okay, I would say that the king of the religious officials' hearts is their place within the religious system, right? Which, of course, equates to power, status, that sort of thing. Um, And the problem is, is Jesus is a threat to their place within that system, right? Let me say this, you have a real problem when you are so attached to your system that if Jesus were to show up, you would feel threatened, right? This really kind of reminds me of of Denethor. If you've ever read Lord of the Rings or watched Lord of the Rings movies, you're aware of this character named Denethor. I'll be, you know, Denethor. There you go. Fantastic. So Denethor is this, um, he is a steward of the city of Gondor which has been kingless for generations. And he's kind of ruling in place of there being a king. And he gets real comfortable in his place of rulership. The problem is, what is the name of the last book of the Lord of the Rings? The Return of the King. It's not the return of a political candidate that I may or may not vote for. It is the return of the king, right? And so, guys, the king returns the king for whom he is supposed to be ruling until the king does return, and he's not happy about it at all. Let me say this. I think that's exactly what's going on with these religious officials. They have been uh, leading the people in expectation of this messianic priest king who will one day come and rule in, in God's name, And then the God shows up, the Messiah shows up, and it's a problem. And how do we know it's a real problem? You know it because in this scene, um, their allegiance to their system outranks their allegiance to Yahweh. Notice, in the end, they cry out an unthinkable blasphemy. They say, we have no king but Caesar. That's incredibly blasphemous words. What are happening? The pressure of the system is exposing what is really the God of their hearts. Does that make sense? Now let's bring this back to home. Because the truth is, most of us are not going to be high priest in a Jewish system, right? But we all live in systems, right? Actually, we live in several systems at the same time. You were born into a family system, right? And some of us or maybe I should say all of us have that family member that has somehow trained us to believe that their happiness is entirely dependent upon us doing whatever they think we should do. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Right? Right? And as a consequence, we've learned to be a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker, right? We've learned to let that person be uh, our reference point rather than Jesus. And frankly, we need to learn to pray. We need to learn to pray and say, okay, God, this is what so-and-so wants me to do. What do you want me to do? So that we can say some holy no's. No, aunt so-and-so, I can't make it to that event this year. Or no, son, you're actually going to have to figure out how to get that money yourself. I've given you the last money I can afford to give away. Right? Right? Friends, the systems of this world are not necessarily bad, but they're never to be our king. Students, you guys in school, you're going to find this where you just have to tell teacher so-and-so, actually, I can't be in this club this year. Or the principal, hey, I've prayed about it, and I think I only want to take two AP classes this year, not six. Why? Because Jesus is your reference point, not people-pleasing. So with that in mind, guys, we need to know that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. We're going to be in academic systems. We're going to be in familial systems. We're going to be in job systems, but we are to be slaves to none of them, right? Jesus is to be our king. And so we need to make sure that our peace comes from pleasing God rather than people pleasing. We need to know that our provision comes from God, not the boss man, right? We need to know that our sense of self-worth comes from Jesus' love for us, not from being an overachiever and doing every extracurricular activity under the sun. We need to have Jesus as being our king, not all these other things. So what are the areas in your life where the system has frankly been king over Jesus. And you just need to begin to ask God for grace because everything happens by grace. We don't change ourselves. We acknowledge our brokenness and let God change us. So so what are those places where you just need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, this is where the system is running my life. Please help me. Reset me to where you would be king, where true north would be on you. Lastly, I want to look at Pilate. What do you think is the king of Pilate's heart? Power, control, position. Those are all good things, or at least good good guesses, I should say. So, guys, in Scripture, it tells us that every truth is to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. What does Pilate say not once, not twice, but three different times? I find no charge or no reason for a, a, a charge against this man for, for um, crucifying him, really. So one thing that we can be fairly confident of is that Pilate is fairly confident that Jesus has done nothing to merit this type of abuse and, and execution, right? But notice in verse 7 and 8, you read this. The, the Jews proclaimed to Pilate, uh, he, pro- he called himself the Son of God. And then in verse 8, it tells us that he became even more afraid. What's going on here? That's actually, yeah, that's a pretty good guess. Friends, here's the thing. Pilate is not a Jew. He's a good Roman. And Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar, talks about how Romans believed that the gods would sometimes take on human form and that they would come down and live for a little while with the people. And if the people mistreated them because they thought they were only human, not divine, when the God went back to the heavenlies, he would strike down those people with judgment. So you need to understand, Pilate is not a monotheist. He's a polytheist. So he's, he may be beginning to believe that Jesus is actually divine, Okay, And actually, in other texts, you hear where Pilate's wife had a dream that said, don't mess with this guy. So, Pilate has a growing awareness that, number one, this guy has done nothing to deserve death. But number two, this guy might actually be a god. Now, the question is this. If he intellectually believes this, why does he still choose to have Jesus beaten and eventually executed? Friends, here's the truth. Jesus will always force you to choose him at the level of the will, not simply the intellect. Okay? What I believe about Jesus doesn't primarily matter if I don't choose to surrender my will to him. Jesus would say it like this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Right? So the question is, why would Pilate believe these things intellectually and yet willfully choose to deny Jesus? I think the answers come in verses 12 and 13. It says, um, we read, the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar.'" So notice this, at best, it wasn't politically wise to let go of a perceived threat to Caesar, right? But at worst, this could have cost Pilate his very life. So what is the king of Pilate's heart? It's self-protective fear, right? The king of his heart is self-protective fear. So guys, we need to ask ourselves, what are the areas in our lives where self is king, and it can be self-protective fear, it can be self-satisfaction, it can even be self-hatred. But what are the places where that's the ruling principle of my soul rather than Jesus? That's the question we need to deal with. Let's, let's bring this into a 21st century context. We've all had that friend who was really going after Jesus. I mean, he was really going after Jesus. That was until he started really going after his girlfriend right? We've had that friend. And then about six or seven months later, uh, the girlfriend moves into his apartment and he justifies it by saying, um, you know, it, it, we love each other. I know it's just a matter of time before we get married. What is the king of that man's heart? It's the relationship, right? The, the king of his heart is now the idolatry of this woman, and some of us, we've had that friend, or we've been that friend, or frankly, maybe it's not relational idolatry. Maybe it's, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm all about telling the truth right up until it hurts me, right? Or, um, don't mess with my addiction to alcohol or drugs. It's, it's you know, it's not hurting anybody. It's, it's no big deal. It's just my own personal thing. Guys, here's what you need to know. The point is not to condemn us. The point is to simply say that when we think we can start breaking God's commands to meet our self-centered desires, Jesus is no longer the king of our hearts. You see that? Whenever you begin to think, okay, it's okay to break God's commands um, because of your self-centered desires, you need to understand there's a new God in your heart, and it's not the true God you're worshiping a different one. So friends, the Christian life is a willingness to consistently choose Jesus as King over the pressure of my culture, over my systems, and even over my own will. That's what the Christian life is. So do you see that following Jesus will always bring you to your breaking point? Let me say that again. That's how you know that you're following the real Jesus, is does he bring you to your breaking point? Why? Because he's going to break everything in you that is not fit for his kingdom. Why? Because he loves you. He wants you in his kingdom, right? So I want to finish by looking at this group this down by the cross it's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her friends, and probably John, the disciple. And while they all love Jesus, I really want to focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus. For Jesus, or for Mary, Jesus is the most important person in her world. But here's been the problem for her in the, in the story so far, is her will for Jesus has been more important than the Father's will for Jesus, right? There's a story where uh, Mary begins to think that Jesus has lost his mind and that, spoiler alert, he's going to get himself killed. She was right, right? And so what does she do? She gets all uh, Jesus' brothers together, and she basically goes and and does an intervention. We're going to take Jesus home and, you know, just... Talk some sense into him. Get him out of the public eye for a little while. Protect him. What's happening? It's not just that she loves Jesus. She loves her plan for Jesus over God's plan for Jesus. Come on, somebody. Talk about a Jesus versus the Jesus. But now she's at the cross. And God apparently has broken a lot of that stuff in her. And in this tender moment, Jesus looks down from the cross and he says um, to John, behold your mother and to Jesus or to to Mary, uh, behold your son. And from that point on, Jesus uh, or uh, Mary went into the home of John. Friends, do you see that when you give up self as being king, you're finally positioned, you're finally postured to receive what God actually has for you, right? Until you come to that place of letting God break everything in you that is against His kingdom, you're not really ready to receive the gift that He has for you. Yes, Mary's gonna have to give up her firstborn son, but Jesus gives her a new son. Jesus doesn't just give her a house to live in, He gives her a family a family of faith that she can walk out the rest of her days with. Guys, let me say this. The cross is the place where we have to make peace with God's rule, God's will, over my rule and over my will, right? It's the place where we have to decide not what we believe about Jesus, but what will we do in response to that belief. Because that's what matters. Not just what you believe, but what do you do in response to that belief? It's the place where we have to give up all our agendas. So the question is, how do we get to the place where Mary is? How do we get to the place where we've let God break us of everything that stands between us and the kingdom so that we can receive what he actually has for us? The answer is you have to stand, see where you stand, and be willing to repent. You have to see where you stand and be willing to repent. I want you to look at verse 13. It says, Pilate brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place uh, known as the stone pavement. Do You see that this scene is dripping with imagery. Pilate is sitting on the judge's seat, but who is the real judge? Jesus, right? Let me say this. We live in a time day and time where it can feel like Jesus is on trial. Jesus is not on trial. We are. Let me say that again. Jesus is not on trial. We are. Right? And so, guys, here's the thing. The opportunity to respond in faith is now. Jesus came as a humble servant his first time around. Guess why? Because then you have the freedom to freely choose to love him or not. But when he comes the second time, he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What does that mean? It means that... uh, I'm not gonna have a choice. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and I'm not gonna get credit because I choose to worship him then because it's not even a free choice, right? So my chance to say yes to Jesus is now, while I have freedom. So I wanna ask the question, as you look into the mirror, as you look into the mirror, I want you to ask yourself, what is the king of my own soul? Is it culture? Is it systems? Is it self, or is it Jesus? Do you know how Jesus became king? In the Old Testament, Yahweh became the king of Israel by cutting a covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, right? But how did he cut that covenant? It was through the shed blood of bulls and goats. You know how Jesus becomes King he gets on a cross and he cuts a covenant with us at the expense of his own blood not not at the uh, risk of his life but at the cost of his life so let me say this because Jesus was willing to take on the cross to become your king he has absolutely no problem telling you to take up your cross and die to anything that's not fit for his kingdom, right? This is not an optional thing. This is, this is a, a command from the Lord for our good, right? So as you look into the mirror of self, I want you to ask yourself, is culture really king of my heart? When, when you look into your interiority, into the interiority of your heart, are you more a citizen of the kingdom of America or more a citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you more wrapped up in politics or sports or entertainment or social media? And if so, I invite you just to begin to ask God to recenter my heart. God, just confess it and ask God to recenter your heart to Him. Cindy, you can come on up. Or is the ruling principle of your soul the systems that you live in? Right. Like you're okay with worshiping Jesus as long as you're keeping these people happy or students. Maybe you feel it in in your friend groups. It's like, man, I'm I'm all about Jesus until I'm hanging out with these particular people. I I struggle to hear the still small voice when I'm with this crowd. Well, I invite you, just begin to ask God, Lord, Lord, make your voice the only voice that I listen to. Recenter my heart to you so that you are king, not the system that I live in. Or maybe for some of you guys, frankly, self is still king. And you've gotten really good at telling Jesus, Jesus, you can be king over all of these things, but don't mess with my TV shows. Or, Jesus, you can be king of all of these things, but, but don't ask me to give up my alcohol or my drugs. Or, Jesus, you can be king of all of these things, but don't ask me to change my sexual behavior. Or let's just get more into people's business. Um, Jesus, you can be king of all of these things, but don't ask me to give up my unforgiveness. Don't ask me to give up my anger. Don't ask me to give up my resentment. Guys, let me say this. Deal with your hearts now. Allow God to reset your hearts now. The altar is open. I love the altar. A lot of good prayer happens up here. And I just invite you, go ahead and stand. I invite you that if the Lord is speaking into your heart at all, do business with God and ask Him to reset your heart. I spent about an hour yesterday just talking to the Lord over these three places, culture, system, and and self, to God, just to really say, God, here's my heart, please begin to deal with it. So I encourage you. This word doesn't come as a word of condemnation. It comes as a word of corporate conviction. So really do business with God. Let Him begin to reset your heart. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, we love you. And we bless you, hmm. Jesus. We confess that there are many things that compete for lordship in our lives. Lord, in your mercy, would you recenter us to you, that you would be the unrivaled king in our hearts. Lord, would you deal with places where we have been more American than kingdom? Where we've been more absorbed with the ways of America than the kingdom of God? Lord, for for ways that we've thought like Americans rather than like citizens of the kingdom, God, please... Repent us, deal with us, God. And Lord, for ways that we have lived into systems and let systems be king over our personal allegiance to you as king. God, forgive us and repent us, God. Teach us the value of saying some holy no's. And and, and embolden us, God, to do that. Embolden us to actually speak what is most true into the situations that we live in, God. And Lord, for places where self is still king, oh God, have mercy on us. And please set us free for joyful obedience. Set us free For you and for you alone. That we would be yours all the way through. All the way through. Lord Jesus, we love you and we bless you and we thank you, Lord. In your mighty name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.